for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have here with you. God, what a great opportunity it is every Sunday morning, every time we meet as a church, whether it's Wednesday or the other groups throughout the week or our men's or women's fellowship, what a great opportunity this is and even this morning for us to come together to spend time with you to be together as a family to to worship you to pray and to to open up your word lord i'm always excited because you always have a word for us here and so lord speak to us lord may your spirit anoint this time and we ask this in jesus name amen a newborn baby was brought to the pediatrician for his first checkup. Well, as the doctor finished up the exam, he told the parents, you have a very cute baby. Smiling with pride, the father said, oh, thanks. I, mean, I bet you, you say that to all the new parents. No, replied the doctor, just to those whose babies are really good looking. Well, the father thought for a moment and asked, So what do you say to the others? Well, the doctor answered, He looks just like you. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> well, in one sense, another sense I should say, we do have a Savior like that. Jesus Christ came to the earth to become a human being just like you, just like me. The old Puritan John Boyce once said, In the creation, the Lord made man like himself. But in the redemption, he made himself like man. Isn't that good? Well, today we return to the book of Hebrews and we find how important it was for Jesus to become a human being. And to die for our sins. So, our title this morning is this. When Jesus became like us. When Jesus became like us. We're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 2 from verse 10 through 18. We finished up verse 9 last time. Continue on. We're going to finish this chapter today. When Jesus became like us. And he became, and we're going to see three things here. He became, number one, the captain of our salvation. The conqueror of our enemy, and number three, the compassionate high priest. So let's begin here. When Jesus became like us, he became, number one in our outline, the captain of our salvation. The captain of our salvation. All right, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. It says here, For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. We'll stop there. Now, we begin here with the writer saying for. He says this first word here, for, in verse 10, which connects us to the verses right above it. And that's where we ended last time. In verse 9, it says how by the grace of God, Jesus did taste Death, And remember, we learned that he experienced death when we died on the cross in our place. So he says, for all that what he did, by the grace of God, that was fitting. The word there means it was right or is proper, or you can even translate this consistent. So this was consistent 
for him. And who, who is the him here? Well, the him is God the Father. God the Father who made all things and all things are made for him. In other words, for Jesus to die on the cross, it was consistent with the grace of God the Father. Now, understand something. What, what's going on here is, is, remember, the writer, he writes to the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, right? That's the title of this book. And for the Jewish person to hear that the Messiah died, suffered on the cross and died, that, that they don't receive that very well. See, the Jews really believed and, and hoped for that the Messiah would come to rule and reign on earth. But as we understand today, that's the second coming of Christ, right? And we've talked about that last time. In the millennium, he's going to come rule and reign over the earth. But the first coming of Jesus was to make atonement for our sins by dying on the cross. Now, that's what the writer wants his fellow Jews to understand here. I mean, think of it this way. If Jesus came first to rule and reign, none of us would have a chance to be a part of that kingdom, right? But God sent Jesus first to atone for our sins, and that's grace, isn't that? So he's saying this is consistent with God, that, that grace came, that Jesus first came, so that now, in his second coming, we have, we have a future with him in the coming kingdom and the glory. Okay, so then he goes on in verse 10 here in the second part that this gracious plan of God was to bring many sons or children of God into glory and and really if you connect this to what we read last time this is the glory of the millennial time when we rule and reign with King Jesus as we saw that was our destiny right that was we what we were destined to if you missed that you can grab the cd from last time and so the father's plan was all of this, that, that by his grace, and he sent Jesus, and his plan was, and he says here in verse 10, to make the captain of our salvation. The word captain is interesting here. It means pioneer. It means founder. It means like leader, so to speak, in, in our day and age. Maybe we, we would even say our hero, yeah, who did something for us. Well, this speaks of Jesus who made the way for us to reach that glory. So that all speaks about Jesus becoming a human being. And when, be, when he became a human being to die on the cross, he was the trailblazer. He was the one who made the new trail, blazed that new trail. He, he broke new ground in what he did. He made the way for us to be saved and live in eternity. So that's the captain. That's the pioneer of our salvation. But then he says something in verse 10. Now this captain of our salvation at the end was made perfect through sufferings. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus needed to suffer to be morally perfect. No, we know Jesus had no sin. He never sinned, right? But perfect here in the original language means to complete. It means to reach an intended goal. So, Here's the idea here in this verse. Jesus, the captain of our salvation, that trailblazer, was able to complete that work of salvation for us. How? By becoming a man, so to go through the necessary suffering 
and death on the cross. So do you understand that now? This is what the writer's saying. Think the Hebrew guys are like, well, I don't know, the Messiah died? I'm not sure about that. Hey, but he was our hero. He was the pioneer guy who did something that, that no one has ever done. He completed the salvation by becoming a man and then suffering and die. It was necessary for him to suffer and die on the cross. Someone wrote, the path of sorrow and that path alone leads to the land where sorrow is unknown. I like that. He had to go through the cross to bring us the glory. That's the way. So think of the writer talking to the Jews saying it was necessary for Jesus, the Messiah, to suffer and die on the cross to complete the way to be saved. And with that, what Jesus did, there comes something special. Look at verse 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to, to call them brethren. So all of this, Jesus becoming a captain of our salvation by becoming just like us. Now, he says, you know what? For both he, that's Jesus, and those he who sanctifies, that's Jesus who sanctifies, that means to set us apart, make us holy or righteous. And those who are sanctified, that's us, believers, who he sets us apart and makes us righteous because of what he's done. He says, are all of one. What's he saying? Well, both Jesus and believers now have the same Father. What's, what that's saying is that believers are now considered part of the family of God. So, in that sense, Jesus, the Messiah, is not ashamed to call believers brethren. And that means brothers and sisters. Now, isn't that amazing that Jesus would call us brethren hey, uh, or sisters? I think that's amazing because I think about me, right? Us? What? Really? Really? How, how, how's that? Well, as we're reading, Jesus became a man so he could die on a cross to cleanse us of our sins, to forgive us, and then, and then now we can be children of God. Well, in support of that thought, the writer goes on to quote some, uh, some scripture. Remember, the, he, the, the writer to Hebrews is, is bringing scripture from the Old Testament to support these things that he's saying. And so he goes on in verse 12 saying, I will declare your name to the brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And again, in verse 13, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. So in support of this thought, how our captain of our salvation has now brought us and made us so we can be a part of the family of God, and that even him now, the Son of God, right, calls the Father, Father. We can now call him the Father, and altogether, Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. Well, what he brings in here in verse 12 is this well-known messianic psalm. It's talking about Jesus, and he quotes Psalm 22, verse 22, showing how the Messiah, in verse 12, he said, I will declare your name to my brother. He's going to declare God's name and sing praise in the midst of the assembly with the people that he calls my brethren, my family, my brothers and sisters. And then he quotes in verse 13 from Isaiah. He quotes from Isaiah 8, 17, where the Messiah states his trust 
in the Father. And then he quotes Isaiah 8, 18, in the second part of verse 13, that his trust is made with the people of God, the children whom God had given him. So together, Jesus identifies with the children of God, his brothers and sisters. And now, understand, right, Jesus did trust the Father, right? Remember, Jesus walked in obedience and trust when he was on this earth. So with the people of God, as one family, as the Son of God, he, they all, Jesus along, identifying with the children of God, that we all trust the Father. So the idea really here is this. Jesus became a human being, so in salvation, we can become his brothers and sisters. That's the thought here. Throughout the Gospels, right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus always called his guys like disciples or friends or sheep. But it wasn't until after the cross and the resurrection that Jesus called them brethren. That's what he told Mary. Go tell my brethren in Matthew 28.10. So after the atonement for their sins and after the atonement, the way was made for believers to become part of the family of God. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 8.17 that we are joint heirs with Christ. See, the idea is this. Jesus became a man, right? Became like one of us, a human being. Jesus became that so he could connect to us. And now after his, his death and resurrection, now he can connect to us as family, that we can be a part of the family of God. So what did the captain of our salvation do? Jesus became part of the human race so that we could become part of his family. That's what I really want you to get here. Jesus became part of the human race so that we could become part of his family. Now, maybe we're used to that thought. Maybe we're we're, you know, we've been in church or we grew up in church. Oh, yeah, family of God, children of God. But, but think about this. I mean, to the Jewish mind where God is holy and God is, is up on Mount Sinai with the fire and the cloud and the Shekinah glory and like, oh, who are we? We sinners. We've been trying to always reach God in that way. And then now Jesus comes to us. He becomes a man. And now what? He's saying we can actually become a part of this family? I mean, to me, this, this, this is like amazing. I'm sure they're thinking, wow, this, this is incredible. Jesus became part of the human race so that we could become part of his family. Years ago, a, a young 15-year-old boy who was born to a mother in jail that he never got to know, who grew up in foster care all his life, who was really desperate to find a family to adopt, and you know what? he stood in front of a congregation at a Baptist church in Florida. This boy stood up there, bravely asked, My name is Davion Only, and I have been in foster care since I was born. I know God hasn't given up on me, so I'm not giving up either. I want to be adopted. He went on and just brought tears to everybody there. He said, I don't care if you're old or young, you're just a dad or just a mom, you're black, you're white, you're purple, I don't care, I want to be adopted. I just want people to love me for who I am 
to grab me and keep me in their house and to love me no matter what. Oh, you're like crying now, yeah? Well, that made national news. And there was 10,000 responses that came in to adopt Davin, this 15-year-old boy. From different countries even. Well, after a, a little bump in the road, a, a former caseworker for him with three other kids took him in and now Davion officially became part of their family. In another interview a few years later, Davion told the re reporter this, we're a family. We know that no matter what, we're always going to be together. This is what Jesus is saying, you guys. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to bring you into a, my family. You're going to be a part of my family. No matter what, I'm going to love you. No matter what, we're always going to be together. No matter what, we're going to be a family. Well, I think about Davian, right? How he must have longed to have that kind of family. To belong to a family. To be loved no matter what. Well, this is what the writer is saying. All that Jesus did to become just like us was to bring us, one of the things was to bring us into his family, that we would be a part of his family. Are you lonely? Is there like a yearning to belong to a family? What, you know what's amazing is God wants you to belong to his family. And let me tell you, in Jesus you can. In Jesus you do. In Jesus you are a part of God's family. And Jesus loves you no matter what. You know, I, I, I struggle sometimes thinking about this. I mean, why would God want me in his family? Who am I but this sinner? Who am I but so many times I, I failed, yeah? Who am I that I'm not worthy, right, to be a part of God's family? But what is the writer saying? This is consistent to God's grace. God's grace saves me. His love never gives up on me, like Davian said. Jesus came and died so that you and I could belong to something we don't deserve. And now, Jesus, he's not ashamed to say, he's part of my family. He's my brother. He's my sister. Oh, the love of Jesus. Oh, the love of Jesus. Let's go on here to number two now. The conqueror of our enemy. When Jesus became like us, he became the captain of our salvation and brought us into his family. And number two, the conqueror of our enemy. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 now, it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Verse 15, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Well, the writer here goes on to say, since now the children 
have partaken of flesh and blood. So Jesus shared in the same. The NLT translates this, this like this. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. In other words, Jesus became like us. Just like us. Why? So that, he goes on here, that through death. Now, just stop there for a second. Jesus became like us, became a human being, so that Jesus could die, right? God could never die, right? But he became a human being so he could die on the cross for our sins. Now, just, just stop for a second. There, this amazing truth, really, is very clear here. God became a man so he can die for us. Now, understand what's being said here. First of all, here in verse 14, it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken. Where it says partaken, the Greek word there is koinonia. It means to have fellowship. It means to share. It means to partner in. So, so the writer is saying, hey, every human being shares with each other their humanity. Flesh and blood. We're all humans. But then when it goes on here and it says, He himself likewise shared in the same. The word shared, there's actually a different Greek word. It, it's the word, word uh, metako, which means to actually partake. It's kind of switched here in the New King James. But it means to take hold of something that is not naturally yours. It's saying that Jesus, when he became a human being, it wasn't what he was before that. So understand this, when Jesus became a man, right, he, he became something he wasn't before. What was he before? God. And then he became a man. So, so this, this amazing, and I know it's hard to understand, but, but, but let me add this. When Jesus became a man, he did not cease being God either. He was fully God, fully man. He just limited his infiniteness and his power. When he became a man, he, he willingly became finite. I know it's hard to understand, but the truth is here in front of us that Jesus did not stop being God. He just added man to his being. And that kind of helps me that, okay, he's fully God. Man, what, what is this? Did he just, then he's, he's not God anymore. He's God, but he added man to his being. All right, so Jesus became like us so that through death, now he goes on here, through death he could destroy. Now this word destroy, when he talks about who does he destroy? The devil, right? The power of death that the devil holds. Now, we look today after the cross. I mean, the devil's still running around, right? So is, is he destroyed? No, not exactly right now. One day in the millennium he will be. Yeah, no more. He'll be locked up in, in the, the, the prison. Well, uh, here where it says, Jesus became like us so that through that he could destroy. The word destroy means render powerless. It means to disarm. So through Jesus' death, he disarmed the devil who held the power of death. Now, what, what does that mean, that Jesus held the power of death? Well, it means this, that Satan held the consequences, consequence of death over us when we sin. 
I mean, God ultimately is authority over life and death, right? But Satan holds that over the sinner. You see, sin and death are interconnected, right? When Adam sinned, death came into the human race. And so if Satan gets you to sin, he then holds death over you. So it's sin that gives Satan power over us. But it was through Christ's death that as Jesus as a human being, that Jesus brought the release, verse 15, the freedom from the fear of death, the fear that we would die in our sins, which kept us in that bondage of fear. Satan cannot hold death over you. Sin is sin and that problem is no longer a issue. So, to me this is a, a, a interesting kind of funny thing. The death of Jesus was not a defeat. The death of Jesus disarmed the devil. When God became a man and died on the cross, Jesus became the conqueror of our enemy. I really like, and you can put this on the screen, what John MacArthur said. He wrote, at Calvary, Jesus crushed the head of the old serpent, Satan, because it is our sins which give the devil power over us. And then he wrote, when our sins are forgiven and taken out of the way, Satan has no authority and power of us, over us. Isn't that great? We should say amen to that. Amen, right? So here's what the writer's saying. Our conqueror defeated our enemy by how? Well, Jesus became a human being so that he could die and break the power of sin and death. Understand this today, you guys. Jesus became a human being so that he could die and break the power of sin and death. Praise the Lord that we are no longer bound to that. Praise the Lord that, that the enemy cannot hold that over us anymore. Praise the Lord that we know that we're going to live eternally with Jesus one day. That sin no longer has that power that death no longer has that power. When we go from this world, no more. Death is just a way to pass into glory. Speaking about his death and resurrection, Jesus said in John 14, 19, A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. And then he said these amazing words, Because I live, you will live also. You see, Jesus became a human being so that he could die and break the power of sin and death. So you see how important this is, that Jesus became like us. That was the day, that was the way when he died on a cross. That was the way to defeat the devil. Perhaps you're here today and you fear death. Perhaps th today you, you think, well, my sins are there. And maybe it makes you think that, well, I don't know, if I die, will God let me into his heaven? But Jesus has made a way so that you may be free of that fear, that you may be forgiven and know that death is not the end, but a beginning. If you're in that place today, 
that maybe there is a fear of death. If you're in that place that maybe you're not sure or maybe you're walking in that condemnation and guilt, go to where sin was defeated. Go to where guilt, can, you can be freed from guilt. Go to where Satan can no longer hold that over you. Where Satan was defeated. Where, as Scripture tells us, he's just this roaring lion. He cannot do nothing. His teeth has been taken out. He's just, I don't know what I want, right? Go to where you can be forgiven and freed. Go to the cross where Jesus died for you. And let me tell you, when you really, truly understand this, you're going to find courage. You're going to find strength. You're going to find freedom. You're going to find that, you know what? In Jesus, you're invincible. Yeah? The enemy has been defeated. Let me share with you this story I came across this week. In a Soviet prison during the 1980s, the words of the officer there pierced through, saying, we are not going to torture you anymore. The Christian Paulus wondered what the Soviet soldier meant. He had been beaten and abused for hours for the crime of following Jesus Christ. No, we aren't going to torture you anymore. We are sending you to Siberia where the snow never melts. It is a place of great suffering, said his torture. Well, the response back to this Soviet was surprising. Paul smiled, saying, The whole earth belongs to my father. Wherever you send me, I will be on my father's earth. Well, the captain mocked his optimism optimism and said we will take away all you own we will put a bullet between your eyes paulus smiled again replied you will need a high ladder captain my treasures are stored up in heaven if you take away my life in this world my real life of joy and beauty will begin and you know what he told him i'm not afraid of being killed The Christian's confidence angered the captain. He grabbed Paulus by his tattered shirt and screamed in his face, Then we will not kill you. We will keep you locked alone in a cell and allow no one to come and see you. You cannot do that, sir, Paulus replied. You see, I have a friend who can pass through locked doors and iron bars. No one, not even you, can separate me from the love of Christ. You can't stop a person like that. You can't stop someone who understands and truly knows what Christ has done when he came to this earth and died on a cross. You cannot stop a person who knows that Jesus defeated the enemy, Satan. No wonder in Revelation 12, 11, it says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Jesus, you guys, became a human being so that he could die and break the power of sin and death. The enemy can't hold that over you no more. Let's go on to number three here. The compassionate high priest. The compassionate high priest. We've seen uh, when Jesus became like us, he became, number one, the captain of our salvation. Number two, the conqueror of our enemy. And now number three, the compassionate high priest. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16. It says here, For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid 
to the seed of Abraham. We'll stop here. Now, the writer adds, for indeed. And, and you know what he's saying? He's saying, in all of this, I mean, realize this, see this, that Jesus does not give aid to angels. Right? I mean, Jesus didn't need to help angels because angels don't die. But what Jesus did was to help those of the seed of Abraham. Now, that means the descendants of Abraham. Jesus himself was a descendant of Abraham. He was a Jew, right? And he, so he's talking about how he came as a Hebrew to help the Hebrews, speaking to the Hebrews in this book. And of course, this includes all those who are spiritual descendants of Abraham, which are believers, as Paul talked about in Galatians 3.29. So every believer is a spiritual descendant of Abraham. Abraham came in faith, and so we are descendants of faith. Jesus did not come to redeem angels, but to redeem and help humans. That's the basic idea here. C.H. Spurgeon said, Christ's great mission was not to save angels, but to save men. Therefore, he came not in the nature of angels, but in the nature of men. He didn't become an angel, right? He became a human being. Verse 17, therefore, since Jesus came to help human beings and not angels, in all things he had to be made like his brethren. So just as he's been talking about, Jesus became like us. He had to. Not an angel, like us. That, verse 17 says, he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. All right, here's another reason now why Jesus became like us. And he introduces this, that Jesus would now become our merciful and faithful high priest. That Jesus would be this merciful high priest toward people and faithful to his God. He would become our ultimate high priest. And as our high priest, he would make propitiation. That means to satisfy the sentence that was upon us for our sins, to make atonement, basically, for our sins. So Jesus, as a man, became our ultimate high priest. Again, the writer's writing to who? The Jews, right? So as he's writing to them, the, the they would understand what he's talking about. They would understand the role of a Jewish high priest. Once a year, once a year the high priest would offer up animal sacrifices for sin, enter the innermost room of the temple where the, where the Ark of God was, where, where that represented the presence of God, and there the high priest would make atonement, propitiation for the sins of the people, and he would intercede in prayer for the people, asking forgiveness. Well, when Jesus became like us, he became the ultimate high priest in that he offered himself as sacrifice, as atonement, as God became man. Jesus then became the mediator between God and man. So Jesus was the ultimate high priest. The old high priest had to go in there once every year. But Christ's death was once and for all, as Scripture tells us, for those who believe in. And Christ was merciful toward us and faithful to the Father in completing that atonement. So we understand now what, what, what the writer is saying. Look, Jesus is like 
our high priest there. And he's the ultimate one. He didn't bring a sacrifice. He was a sacrifice. And he became that intercessor. He became that intermediator. He became, because he was God and man, that mediator between God and man. So, with all of that, we come to the last verse here this morning and this chapter. The writer says, For in that, in all that Jesus went through, living here, dying on the cross, becoming a man, for in that, he himself has suffered being tempted. He is able to aid those who are tempted. And this is, this is amazing here. He himself suffered like a human being, Jesus. Jesus experienced physical suffering, emotional suffering, spiritual suffering, just like what we go through. But understand, in all of that, Jesus never sinned, but he did experience, and here he's saying, See, being tempted, yeah? Tempted in this suffering time. Tempted to what? To give up in that suffering. I mean, think of how intense the pain it was. Uh, that in the suffering, everything he went through, all, all that he went through. I mean, for many of us, it's not worth trying anymore when we go through that. But Jesus went through all that. And because Jesus experienced all the suffering and the temptation, in his humanity, he is able to aid, that is, help us when we are tempted, when we go through extreme times of suffering and pain. So the idea is this. Jesus is the compassionate high priest who knows what it's like to live in this world. Jesus walked the earth. He was just like us. He went through all these things just like us. He never sinned. He never gave into the temptation. But now he understands. And Jesus is the, our compassionate high priest who knows what it's like to live in the world. You know, throughout the Gospels, we, we, we see the humanity of Jesus on display. I mean, just like you and I, Jesus experienced physical hunger, thirst, yeah, sleeplessness. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was tortured. I mean, he could feel that physical pain and then jesus felt the emotions that we all go through the sadness a broken heart joy he felt grief being troubled he felt love he felt the bitterness of betrayal he felt the disappointment the abandonment so much more but not only what did he experience what we go through physically or emotionally but he suffered spiritually from head-on temptation by the devil himself, we read in Matthew 4. He suffered spiritually dealing with demons all the time. He, he suffered from unbelieving disciples and religious leaders who didn't believe. And you know, when he was facing the cross, he was tempted to not go through it, right? He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, take this cup away from me. But he didn't give in to that temptation but he prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Listen, Jesus faced temptation and suffering to a degree that we would never see nor survive. Yet, he did it without sin. Jesus experienced, felt, and suffered everything, you guys, that we would, we would ever go through, whatever we've been through, and more. That's the humanity of him. 
That's why he became like us. So we find with this compassionate high priest, and this is our last point this morning, Jesus, who became just like us, totally understands and knows what help we need. Jesus, who became just like us, totally understands and knows what help we need. He's been through it, you guys. He's not a, this God up in his ivory tower, not even understanding anything what we go through and all that. No, he's not like that. He knows, he understands, and then he knows exactly how to help you. Turn a few pages to the right to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says here, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, who was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then look at verse 16, Hebrews 4, 16. It says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus understands what you're going through. Jesus knows what it's like. Jesus is there for you and he can help you because he knows. See that today. Think about it this way. Jesus is at this moment at the right hand of God. Jesus is there, but he's available to you. He knows exactly what it's like. He knows exactly how you feel. He knows exactly what you're thinking. He knows the struggles that are going on inside of you. So you can go to him. And he's ready to help no matter how, how dark it looks, no matter how deep the valley, no matter how far you have to go still, he understands what you are going through. So the question is this, why don't you go to him? Yeah. Why do you keep doing things on your own? Why do you keep thinking you know and so you're going to do and try what you think is right. When Jesus says, hey, I know, I know. Maybe we think, well, Jesus, yeah, you're God, you're holy. You, you lived a perfect life. You don't, you don't know. Yeah, i got to figure this out. No, what we're reading here is Jesus can help you. Jesus understands. Jesus knows. I mean, why don't you think God will understand? Jesus is available right now. He wants you to go to him. I read about a boy who lost his right hand. He felt in an accident, and he felt so shame and so bad that he, he, he fell into this depression, didn't want to even be around anybody. His concerned father told the boy, I'm going to bring the pastor here to see you. The boy said, no, I don't want to see him. I don't want to see nobody. But the father brought the pastor anyway, and when the boy looked up, he saw that the minister had no right arm. It was only an empty sleeve in his jacket. The pastor approached the boy and said, I don't have any hand either. I lost mine when I was a boy, and I know how it feels. Well, guess what? At that point, the boy opened up. That's how Jesus is to us, you guys. Go to him for your deepest needs. He understands. Well, now you can see the importance of God becoming a man. For it, it was how Jesus made us a part of God's family. 
It was how Jesus broke the power of sin and death. It was how Jesus is able to truly understand all that we go through in the world. And know this, when God became man, it was how God reached out to us. It was how God showed you how much he really loved you. So underneath all of this, overall in all of this, I, I, I want you to see this. And how he, he brought you into his family, how he, how he defeated Satan. How he understands what you're going through because he became a human being. All that is because he loves you. I'll close with this. It's a hymn by John Walbert and Dan uh, Wurtson. It's called Love Was When. The words go like this. Love was when God became a man, locked in time and space, without rank or place. Love was God, born of Jewish kin, just a carpenter with some fishermen. Love was when Jesus walked in history. Lovingly, he brought a new life that's free. Love was God nailed to bleed and die to reach and love, to reach and love one such as I. Love was when God became a man, down where I could see. Love that reached to me. Love was God dying for my sin. And so trapped was I, my whole world caved in. Love was when Jesus met me. Now it's real. Lovingly he came. I can feel he's real. Love was God. Only he would try to reach and love one such as I. That's so great. How far did God go to show you his love? Well, he came all the way from heaven to earth. So you see, the love of God, when Jesus became like us. Let's pray. Lord, it seems so simple, yet these truths are so powerful. Lord, let these truths impact us deeply today. God, in the midst of our loneliness, our hurt, and our pain, in the midst of the attacks from the enemy whispering in our ears that you're not loved, you're not worthy, you're nothing, in the midst of wondering if anyone really knows what we're going through, these truths bring hope. These truths bring healing. These truths reveal to us that it's you, Jesus, that we need. That it's you that we need to go to. That it's you that have reached out to us because you love us and became a man and walked this earth and died on the cross. Oh, Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would not walk out of here without being impacted deeply deeply in our struggles, in the attacks, in our hurting, in our questions, in our doubt. Lord, that you would impact us deeply in those things that we would finally see you, Jesus, more clearly and that we would see your love more clearly, more than ever before. Oh, Lord, I pray for those right now that are hurting so bad. Whatever situation, whatever darkness, whatever valley, 
God, that you would come and meet them right where they're at and say, I know, I know, I'm here. Lord, I pray for those who have been in just constantly being attacked by Satan and, and worn down, discouraged and depressed. That you would tell them, no worries, I won. I've won. I've defeated him. I am your victor. Lord, I pray for anyone here right now who even in this crowd Lord, feels alone. Even with a smile put on their face saying hi, saying they're okay but really aren't. That right now they would feel your presence, your arms wrapping around them calling them, my child, my child, I love you. Lord, minister to us today. Touch us, Lord. Help us to see the wonderful truth that we have here today. In your name, we ask these things, Jesus.